Well, on January 23rd, 1977, uh, just before 8 p.m., a 12-year-old little boy who was a seventh-grade student at the Lower Paxton Junior High School uh, walked into the, the family room of his home on Rockford Drive in Lower Paxton Township and went up to uh, the family's 19-inch RCA color track television and uh, turned that dial, because that's what you did in those days, to Channel 27, which was the local ABC affiliate. And uh, once he uh, turned that there, he went and uh, there was a little knob beside the television called the horizontal hold, and he adjusted that a little bit to make sure that the, the picture stabilized. Some of you will remember that. And after tweaking that and getting it all dialed in, he sat down on the floor with a 16-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola and a bag of nacho cheese Doritos, and he didn't move for the next two hours. And this process repeated itself every day for the next eight days. But he wasn't alone. The same thing was happening in over 30 million households across the country, which represented more than half of the American population at that time. Now the question is, what was he and everybody else watching? Was it at some uh, multi-day sporting event that had gotten the world's attention? Uh, was it a, a week-long uh, musical festival that was being televised, kind of like a, a Woodstock without all the rain and the mud? Uh, maybe it was a, a, an international crisis that had been unfolding and the world had, had tuned into it and it went over on a, a course of, of, of multiple days. Well, it was none of that. Instead, it was a historical drama presented in a mini-series format written by a man by the name of Alex Haley, and it was called Roots. And for eight straight nights, that 12-year-old boy who was me and over half of America would witness the brutal, true story of the Atlantic slave trade and slavery in America. And as we watched that program, we, we would be captivated by this young Gambian warrior by the name of Kunta Kinte. And we would watch him be, be purchased uh, by slave traders, that he would be placed into the, the hold of a slave ship and go across this harrowing journey through the Middle Passage. He would ultimately uh, arrive in America, be sold to a Virginia plantation owner. And from episode to episode, we, we followed Kunta Kinte as he endured the, the horrors of slave life, including a, a brutal scene, especially for that time on uh, na national television, that showed him being tortured until he would recognize that he had been renamed by his slave master as Toby and not Kunta Kinte. And we would follow the story of his family, from his daughter Kizzy, her son George, to his sons Tom and Lewis, as they experienced the, the endless hardships on various plantations were, and were subjected to unyielding violence, including the, the rape of slave women, the separation of slave families, and the relentless harassment after the abolition of slavery. And for the first time in my young life, and for the first time in the lives of countless Americans, the nearly 250 years of slavery in America had a face. And many of us would never, ever be the same. And I tell you all of this this morning, and I, because I want to talk this morning to you about slavery. But it's not the chattel slavery from the 17th, 18th, and 19th century that occurred in antebellum America that was depicted in the miniseries Roots. No, I want to talk to you about the slavery that's occurring at this very moment throughout America and throughout the balance of the world. And it's a slavery that affects every single one of us and it's a slavery that is displayed out in the open for everyone to
to see, yet it is a slavery that most of us are unwilling to acknowledge or that we're simply oblivious to it. And the slavery that I want to talk to you about this morning is spiritual slavery. And what we do about it not only dramatically affects our day-to-day life, but it ultimately affects our eternal destiny. So let's get started. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your telephone, make your way to Romans chapter 6. We're going to work our way through verses 15 to 23 this morning uh, as we continue our study through the book of Romans entitled God's Relentless Grace. Romans 6, 15 to 23. Uh, For those of you who are at home, it will be up on the big screen also. And if you're able to stand in honor of God's word, would you please do so? Romans chapter 6. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching of which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Now, last weekend, uh, Steve Bateman uh, came and and he... uh, took the place of Pastor Ben and I and Bongo, and he did a masterful job of addressing what it means to be uh, dead to sin and alive to God. And as he took us through the first 14 verses of Romans chapter 6, we came to see that just because Christians are saved by grace, that it doesn't mean that we can simply continue to willfully sin, presuming that God will turn a blind eye to it. And Steve showed us this through his own story of his salvation, what it means to walk in the newness of life that comes from experiencing the grace of God that comes through faith in Jesus. Now, the concept that he shared, this concept of salvation coming by grace through faith and not through obedience to law, that would have blown the minds of the Apostle Paul's ancient Jewish readers. You see, the ancient Jews had always believed that they were saved through obedience to the law. But Paul turns that all upside down in the first 14 verses of chapter 6. But he doesn't stop there. He didn't simply say that salvation doesn't come through obedience to the law, but he takes things actually a step further. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Now from the time of Moses, the ancient Jews lived under the law. So much so that they prided themselves in obeying the law even when they didn't obey the law. And now Paul comes along and he says this, He says, you're no longer under the law. You're free from the law. The law has absolutely no power over you. You are now under something so much greater, something so much more powerful. You are under grace. 
You are under undeserved merit, a right standing with God that you didn't earn, rather one that Jesus earned for those who confess their sins and receive him as Lord and Savior. And by saying this, Paul knew that the the Jews were going to be kind of freaking out. He knew there were going to be questions coming up in their mind. And so he kind of circumvents those questions in verse 15 when he says this, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? In other words, if we're no longer under the law, if the Ten Commandments and the balance of the other 603 laws contained in the Old Testament don't have any control over us, if we're saved by grace and grace alone, can we then do whatever in the world that we want to do? Can we simply live for ourselves live for our own pleasure with absolutely no consequences, can we be totally free to be masters of our own lives and still be okay with God? And on top of that, if we are no longer under the law, what in the world motivates us to live a moral life? That's the question that he's trying to circumvent. And it's the question that he is ultimately going to answer. And so he answers it with these words. He says, absolutely not. And then in the next eight verses, he's going to explain why that being saved doesn't mean that we are free from having a master. Now, every person who has lived in the past, who is living now, and who will ultimately live in the future is not free. Now that's not something that 21st century Americans want to hear. Especially in the culture that we're in right now, where there is a massive fight over what is characterized as freedom. You see, it doesn't matter whether we are an American living under a constitutional federal republic, or an Ecuadorian living under a democratic socialistic government, or Sudanese living under a dictatorship, or Chinese living under communism, or or some prepper living on a, a compound in the mountains of Idaho, or some anarchist who took up residence last year in Seattle's police free, self governing, supposed utopia called the Chaz. Regardless of who we are, We are still serving one of two masters. And Paul tells us exactly who those masters are in verse 16. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Either slaves to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul is telling us we are either slaves to sin or we are slaves to obedience. Or put another way, we will either be mastered by sin or we will ultimately be mastered by God. Now, notice what Paul says. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one who you obey? Now, what in the world does he mean by the idea of presenting ourselves? It means to offer ourselves, to give ourselves, to to sacrifice ourselves. In other words, whatever is is the focus of my life, whatever is the, the focus of your life at home, whatever is the focus of your lives here in this room, whatever is most important to us, whatever we give our time and our treasure and our talents, that is our master. If we seek beauty, we will be mastered by beauty. If we seek wealth, we're going to be mastered by wealth. If we seek power, we will be controlled by power. If we seek comfort, comfort will be our master. If we are driven by sex, sex becomes the master. If we seek God, God will be our master. Whatever is the ultimate in our lives is our master. So despite what people want to believe, there is absolutely no such thing as autonomy. 
We will either be mastered by sin or we will be mastered by God. So how does that happen? What is the path that actually causes that to occur? How do we end up being mastered by sin or mastered by God? Well, just like there are two masters, there are two paths to those masters. Look at verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now we see the first path in the beginning of verse 17 when Paul says, you who were once slaves of sin. The Greek word that has been translated were once is in what is known as the imperfect tense. We've talked about that before. The imperfect tense of a verb means it's something that has happened way in the past that continues to impact us today. And so what Paul is communicating here by using those words in the imperfect tense is this, that you and I, we were always sinful. We were born into sin. Many people think sin is something that we do. They would be wrong. Sin is not something that we do. Sin is something that we are. It's not as much an action as it is ultimately a state of being. It's our nature. And we've talked about this. Over the summer, and I think it was James Axel, if I'm not mistaken, he preached on Romans chapter 5, and this is what he said in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. What, what Paul is telling us here is that you and I come into the world as sinful human beings. Why? Because of the original sin of Adam and Eve that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And if we are honest with ourselves, we know that full well. Every single one of us knows the depth of our sin because it's revealed all of the time in our lives. It's revealed in the things that we think. There are times that thoughts pop into my mind and I'm like, where in the world did that thought come from? If people would have known what I just thought right now, George Palmer wouldn't be calling me his hero. There are things that we do in private that nobody else knows about, and we know that it is sin. There are all of these things that happen. And the Bible teaches us that we are sinful from conception. Listen to David's prayer of confession in Psalm 51 which came as a result of his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. He says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now David is not saying that his act, the act of conception, that, that, this, that the, 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 his mom and dad coming together was an act of sin. What he's saying there is that his sin can be traced to his moment of conception. So let me clarify uh, to you by asking you to think about the kids' books that are out there. The other day, I did a little Google search. I said, give me the, the most popular, best-selling books that, that you teach kids uh, what things that they should do, They're, you know, what things uh, toddlers should do. These are the books that came up on Amazon. Hands are not for hitting. Little dinos don't bite. Be honest and tell the truth. Respect and take care of things. Why do we have to read those books to our little crumb crunchers? Why do we have to do that? It's because every kid comes out of the womb pre-programmed to hit, bite, lie, and destroy things. All you guys in venture who have little kids, you get this right now. The ones who are laughing that don't have kids, don't worry, it's coming. All right? You don't have to teach your kids that. They're pre-programmed to do that. You got to teach them not to do those things. So the first path to becoming slaves of sin, what it begins with our birth. But there is a path to becoming slaves of God that doesn't begin with our birth, but rather 
with our rebirth or our new birth. Look again at 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, now notice the process that the Apostle Paul outlines regarding the way that we become slaves to God. He starts off with this phrase called the standard of teaching. What is that? It is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the first step of our new birth is when God begins to gently draw us to himself and in the process, he brings someone across our path that shares with us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Exactly what the Gideons try to do. That's the way that it works. Now, what's the gospel? If, if you've heard me preach before, which most of you have, I always love pointing people to Tim Keller's definition of the gospel because I believe it's so incredibly succinct. He says this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believed. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's the gospel. We are wildly sinful. Yet at the same time, we are wildly loved by God. That doesn't seem like it should go together, right? If we're wildly sinful, we should be what? Wildly destroyed by God. But because of his grace, we're made right with him. But the new birth doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with simply being exposed to the gospel because at some point after being exposed to the gospel, we have to take it to heart and begin to obey it. And that's what Paul means when he says, we who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. You see, it's one thing for the gospel to enter our mind. That's an intellectual activity. There are lots of people in the world who know the gospel. There are many atheists who understand the gospel. But that gospel has not transformed their heart. All it was was an intellectual exercise. And when we embrace the gospel with our heart, that's when things begin to change. And that change always, always, always reveals itself in obedience. If someone comes along and says, I've had an encounter with Jesus Christ, but I don't want to listen to him, they didn't really have an encounter with Jesus Christ. We're not saved by our works, but the, the works are the fruit of being saved. That's exactly what happens. Now, before becoming a Christian back in 1982, and I didn't do it around Mr. Palmer at the time, but I swore like a sailor. I, I used the F word every other sentence. It, it, it was a noun, an adjective, an adverb, it was a verb. I used it for everything. And, you know, I didn't obviously do it around my mom and dad, but I did it around my friends. But, but in the fall of 1982, in front of the altar at Harbison Chapel at Grove City College, when, when, when I surrendered myself to Jesus Christ, there, there were things in my life that didn't change immediately, but my tongue changed. God took that away from me. And I've seen similar things happen in the lives of other people. Men who were absolutely terrible husbands and they get exposed to the gospel and they take the gospel to heart and that embracing of the gospel in their heart manifests itself in obedience. They begin to love their wife like Christ loves the church. They begin to love their kids and not exasperate their kids. I see the same thing happening in the lives of women who are living in rebellion against the God of the universe. When they're exposed to the gospel and they take that gospel to heart, not only do they confess their rebellion, but they ultimately, they change their behavior. And the rebellion is replaced by a heart of humility and obedience. And rather than fighting against God, they embrace him with the fullness of their being because they have been exposed to his great love. And none of that is our undoing. 
And Paul makes sure that we understand that because he prefaces the whole thing by saying what? Thanks be to God. This is why we've been reborn, because of the great work that God does in our lives. So let me summarize what we've learned so far. First of all, there is no such thing as autonomy. It does not exist. Whatever is ultimate in our lives, whatever uh, consumes our attention, whether it's a person, a desire, an emotion, a worldview, whatever it is, that is our master. And ultimately, when you get to the core, God's word teaches us that there are only two masters. We will either be slaves to sins, sin will master us, or we will be slaves to obedience, and God will master us. There are only two choices. And there are two paths that lead to those two masters. The one leads to sin being our master, and the other path leads to God being our master. We're all born into sin. That is our default programming, and that leads to slavery and sin. But along that path, there's a road that can be taken where our rebirth occurs, and we are reborn through the gospel, and we become slaves to obedience. Now, depending on which path that you have chosen and which master you have ended up with, there are two experiences that Paul tells us that flows from that. Look at verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms. In other words, this anal- you know, I'm, I'm using this analogy here, because of your natural limitations. He says, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You see, that first path, the the path of, of being a slave to sin, causes us to experience what Paul says is impurity and lawlessness, which what? It actually leads to more lawlessness. That's the picture that you have. When we become slaves to sin, it leads to lawlessness, and lawlessness leads to even more lawlessness. Now, the Bible has a perfect example of how this works. It's recorded in Psalm 1. This is what Psalm 1 says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, I want you to notice the progression that occurs here in verse 1. The psalmist is talking about a man who chooses the path that leads to becoming a slave of God. But he doesn't talk about what the man does He actually talks about what the man doesn't do. And as such, he shows us the experience of those who are actually slaves to sin. How does this work? Well, when we're slaves to sin, we start by walking in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, the wicked are around us, they're over there, and we start heading in that direction, and we begin to walk in that direction. And then we begin to have these people around us, and we continue to walk. But when you're a slave to sin, something happens. Then, we don't just keep walking, we begin to stand in the way, stand in the midst of sinners, Now, all of a sudden, we're not just walking through the crowd. We are standing there with the crowd. But the descent continues even further. After standing for a while, then we sit down in the seat of scoffers. And at that point, we are up to our necks in sin. And that is the path that we follow. And that is the experience that we have when we enslave ourselves to sin. Now, this doesn't come as a surprise. Why? 
Because we all know that, that, that lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. Ask anybody who has found themselves deeply enslaved to sin. Ask them how they got there. The wife who cheats on her husband, she didn't just wake up one morning and say, I think today I'm going to abjectly destroy my marriage and my family. In the words of the band Casting Crowns, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. You see, the woman's affair was a product of dozens, perhaps hundreds, of little compromises. It starts off with a brief glance, and then a lingering stare, and then a flirtatious look. Eventually, there's a, a short conversation in the office, and then a 10-minute talk over a cup of coffee at the little cafe down the street. And then there's a lunch alone and a dinner in a romantic restaurant on a business trip. And in each step, the enslaving becomes more and more and more. And the same is true for every other sin. Each one drags us down deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the pit of enslavement. And that is the experience of those who are slaves to sin. But there is also an experience that happens to those who are slaves of God. Look again at verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once were presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. When we journey on the path of being slaves to God, we experience righteousness, right standing with God that ultimately leads to sanctification. As we grow closer to God, our behavior, it begins to change. The things that he loves, that our sin nature didn't love, now we begin to love. The things that he hates, that our sin nature loved, now we begin to hate. And in the process, we become more like Jesus. Dr. Wayne Grudem gives us a very simple definition of sanctification. He says this, Sanctification is a progress work of God and man or woman that makes us more and more free from sin and more and more like Jesus in our actual lives. With each living day, as we fall deeper in love with Jesus and deeper under the mastery of him. The fruit of the Holy Spirit begins to play out in our lives and we begin to, to actually live out love and peace and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's the way that it works. Two experiences. One leads to destruction. One leads to becoming more like God. And at the end of these two experiences, there are two destinies. Look at verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the first destiny is the one that we earn from being enslaved by sin. It is death. Both physical death and eternal death. In his brief overview of Romans, Tim Keller says this, sin is a master who always pays on time and in full. The wages he pays is death. Sin pays out what we deserve for our work for him. Sadly, many of us know that. You see, ultimately, when we're enslaved to sin, we ultimately get exactly what we deserve. Now, there are many people who reject Christianity because they believe that Christianity somehow condemns people to hell. And I'm here to tell you nothing could be further from the truth. All that Christianity does is report the facts. By nature, people are sinful. 
And in order to confirm that, we simply need to take an honest assessment of our own lives. Do we consider others better than ourselves? Do we naturally look out for the needs of other people? Are we quick to forgive? Do we love our enemies? Do we treat people? How do we treat people who we consider are less than us? How do we treat people who we consider are over us? You see, Christianity does not condemn anyone to hell. We were already condemned to hell long before Christianity ever showed up on the scenes. What Christianity does is it offers us a different destiny. And it's a destiny that we don't earn but one that is earned for us by the great work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And that destiny, it is called eternal life. And it is a life that begins at the moment that we confess our sins and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you have confessed your sins and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are experiencing eternal life at this very moment. And what does that look like here on earth? Here on earth, eternal life looks like the broken things in our lives, they're made new. We find victory in the midst of our greatest despairs, comfort in the midst of our greatest sorrows, strength in the midst of our greatest weaknesses, joy in the midst of our, our most high disappointments, and forgiveness in the midst of our sin. That's what Christianity does. Christianity doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't take away the brokenness a lot of times. But it gives us joy in the midst of it. Sometimes God does take away those things. But more times than not, we're left to, to, to hang in the battle and God provides the strength in the midst of it. But it gives us more than just this life. In the life to come, it gives us heaven for all eternity and the presence of God. In the book of Revelation, we're told what? God wipes away every tear from our eyes. Death is no more, there is no mourning, nor crying, nor pain. It is a life where those who are slaves to God discover unimaginable freedom. So, the obvious question becomes, who are you today? What master do you actually, honestly serve? Are you a slave to God? I not only want to encourage you this morning, but I want to challenge you to live completely for him. Don't get caught up in all of this chaos of the culture that is going around us right now that is causing Christians to act crazy, insane, nuts, contrary to the gospel. Christians of all stripes, of all colors, of all political persuasions, of all backgrounds. Don't fall for that. Don't, don't get caught up in that. Instead, worship Jesus with all of your soul. Do that. The, the songs that, that we sang this morning, the, there was a common theme with all of those songs that Pastor Paul pulled together. What were they doing? They were elevating God, every one of those. And, and, and there's a difference that happens here at Living Water Community Church. We can sing all those little pop songs that are I this and I that, I love Jesus this, that, and the other thing, and you'll sing them. But when we put songs up on that screen that elevate God, that show how mighty and worthy he is. This place sings like there's no tomorrow. Why is that? Because we are created to worship God. And as Christians, we need to do that. We need to be people who worship with all of our heart, soul, and mind, not just in this place. This is a, this is a, a speck, a second, an instant in our lives. But in all that we do, obey him with all of your heart. I have to tell myself this because I don't always want to obey. I get tired and, and, and worn down and beaten up. And I think I'll find, find comfort in sin. But all that does is drag me down further. 
I need to love him all the more and obey him all the more in the midst of the hardships of life. Serve him by, by, by serving others with all of our strength. And it doesn't just have to be here, but the reality is we should never, ever have to beg a Christian to serve. Never. We should never have to, to beg. Either you're serving here or you're serving somewhere else. But Christians serve because Jesus served. And if we're unwilling to do that, We've got to do a gut check. There is something wrong. Something wrong in our lives. Something wrong in our schedule. Something wrong in our priorities. We need to change that. You should not have to be begged to serve and declare his goodness and his grace with all of your being. There are people in this world who want to drag you down. They want you to get on this bandwagon, that bandwagon, or the other bandwagon. You want to stop that? In the midst of them talking about that, tell them this. Just look at them and just say, you know, let me tell you how good God has been to me this week. That stops all of that junk. I like vaccines. I don't like vaccines. I want masks. I don't want masks. Let me just tell, whatever, whatever, but... This is what God has been doing in my life. God can do stuff in your life with a mask or without a mask, with a vaccine or without a vaccine. Right? He can do that. You shouldn't look down on one or the other. It's craziness. It's absolute craziness. You've been bought with a price. Live for him. And are you a slave to sin? Spending all of your time trying to convince yourself that you're really living in freedom. Yet knowing deep down inside that you are in incredible bondage. You know, no one should ever look down on someone who, who is going through life in a horrible way. We should never look down on someone. Why? They are enslaved, they are in bondage. I've got, I've got friends whose lives are jacked up like crazy. They don't want their lives to be like that. They are enslaved. They need our prayers. They need our love. They need our compassion. But they also need the truth. And if you are someone who's in bondage, are you tired of going from one level of lawlessness to the next? That's got to be tiring. Are the regrets and the shames... Are they becoming too much to bear? I just read yesterday, and I, I don't know the details about this, so, but, but it's just, just a picture of despair. You know, we, we live in this amazingly wonderful township called Swadera. The, the, the people at Swadera Township, they, they have been so kind to Living Water Community Church, from, from the police department to the fire department to the, to the highway department. The other day, I called the highway guy. There was a pothole out at the corner of our driveway on the street. I called Todd and, and said, hey, Todd, there's a, 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 a pothole. Can you guys take care of that in the next couple of weeks? That afternoon, it was filled in. So we have this amazing place. But on Friday, there was an amazing tragedy. The Swatter Township Fire Department down in, in Oberlin, Anhop, whatever, Bressler, I can't tell you which one of those it is over there, but they have a bunkhouse. And, and, and so the volunteers, some of the volunteer firefighters, they, they live in the bunkhouse. They're typically college students and things like that, so they get free room and free board, and then they run for fire calls in the middle of the night. This young girl, 23, 24, 25, they find dead in the bunk room. She took her own life. How do you get to that place? How? It's because there's no hope. And folks, that's what sin does. Sin wants to destroy us. You're a slave to sin? Are you tired of dealing with that stuff? Are you coming to realize that what awaits you in the end is death. 
not just physical death, but spiritual death. Separation from the God of the universe forever. I, I don't know exactly what hell looks like, but I bet it's a place where people get to do whatever sin they want to do forever. And it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse as it goes. If that describes you, if you are a slave to sin, you need to know Jesus has conquered it. He has paid for every one of your sins. Every one of them. With his body. There is nothing that you have done that is beyond the infinite blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing. And he desires for you to experience that freedom. He's paid the price. You don't have to pay it. But when you show up before the Lord without Jesus, you are on your own. You're paying that debt yourself. And it is going to be for an eternity. So surrender yourself to him. Give yourself to him. Let him do with you that which he wants. He will transform your life. He sent me away to seminary to start a church. That's what he did. And 25 years ago today, that's when it really happened. And I, I, we only got a minute or two, but I, I do want to testify to this one thing. Uh, today is my daughter Nicole's 25th birthday. 25 years ago, I, I just want you to think about this for a second. 25 years ago, Kathy, well, 26 years ago, Kathy and I had been praying and praying and praying to God to adopt an infant daughter. And we had roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. Kathy was at her wit's end. She was so frustrated, so disappointed, so sad. But on this day, 25 years ago, she got a phone call from an adoption agency in Columbus, Georgia. And Phoebe, who was the manager, she said to Kathy these words. Your daughter was just born. We had never, we didn't even know there was a lady that was considering us. I was on an airplane on, on the, the, the tarmac of Dallas-Fort Worth. We were on, a, on a, a weather hold. Lightning was blowing all around the place. And I had called Kath on, if you remember the little phones, you put the credit card in the seat and the phone popped out. You guys remember that? Yeah. I had called, you know, the phone call was probably 50 bucks, but... I'd called her just to check on her, and she's crying. And she's saying, our daughter has been poor. And I thought to myself, how incredibly faithful is God? He gives us the desires of our hearts. And little did I know way back then that that step would lead to this, and that we would all be together here celebrating the goodness of God. He is amazing. And if he can put a little girl in the Leonzo's home, for those of you who are enslaved to sin right now, he can set you free. Go to him. Cling to him. Let him set you completely and abjectly free. For if the Son sets you free, you are what? Free indeed. Let's pray. Lord God, we acknowledge your sovereignty and supremacy in this world. We acknowledge that you are the creator of all things. You are the sustainer of all things. Lord, that you are savior and you are judge. And Father, I thank you that your love is deep. 
and that you remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. And so God, for those who are in this room right now, Heavenly Father, who are still slaves to sin, I pray, dear God, that you would do the work that only you can do, that you would reach down from heaven, that, Lord, you would put that tiny spark of truth in their lives. Lord, they have encountered the gospel this morning. Lord, they are, they are without excuse. They are without excuse, Heavenly Father, because they woke up this morning and saw the sun come up because the earth testifies that you are Lord. And I pray, dear God, that you would do that work, that you would draw them to yourself, that they would know that your love is great, that your, your forgiveness is infinite, and that there is hope in your nail-pierced hands. And Lord, for those of us who are in this place, that, that you have already done that work in our lives, Father, would you help us not to get caught up in the craziness of this world, but would you help us to, to live like your son? Father, who was obedient unto death, who loved those who were unlovable, who, who was criticized because he ate with sinners and tax collectors, not because he wanted to, to be in the midst of sin, but because he wanted to show them grace. God, would you help us to treat others better than ourselves? Lord, for those areas that we struggle with, those, those sins that keep nipping at our heels, would you, dear God, through the power of your spirit, restrain us from that sin? For you are good, and you are faithful, and you are kind. And Heavenly Father, now, as we prepare to give to you that which you have given to us through these offerings, Father, I thank you for those who are at home, who have given through the mail or online, for those who are in this place that are, are going to give, uh, Lord, in this place right now. Lord, thank you for these gifts. I pray, dear God, that, that this church family, this leadership would be extraordinarily, uh, Lord, wise in their use, that we would not squander a penny, that we would not be lovers of money, but we would be lovers of you. Do that great work now in this place. And it's through your son's name we pray. And all God's people said.